Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Isaiah chapter 14, if you would please. Isaiah 14. We're talking about the power of love. And it's a little series that we have going here. And just to reiterate a few points that we've already made. We talked about the fact that love is not really a subject. Love is a person. God is love. And if God is love, then love is God unveiled. Or love is God revealed. We stated that love is the greatest force in all the universe. It is the reason for creation. It is the reason for man's existence and man's being. It is the reason for parenthood. As a matter of fact, love gives us all that is beautiful in life. If it were not for love, life would have no purpose and life would have no meaning. See, love makes a house a home. Without love, life loses its beauty. Life loses its meaning. Without love, creation loses all of its beauty. We look at the beauty of creation and we understand that God who is love created everything. Everything was birthed or born out of love. Everything is designed to love. And when love is interrupted and it's not allowed to have its full course and free reign, then once again, creation loses its luster. It loses its beauty. Man loses his reason for existence, his reason for being. Without love, we understand the house with all of its furniture, with all of its food, with all the clothing, with all the wealth, no matter how much, no matter how big, is not a home because love does not reside there. Love is what makes life beautiful. And God is love. And man was designed by God to love. Now, love has an enemy. And that enemy is found right here in the book of Isaiah 14. Beginning at verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen? From heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Notice all the I wills. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Lucifer was not designed by God to be selfish, self-centered, or self-willed. He was designed by God to appreciate his existence and flow with the plan of God. But he made a decision, and that decision was to be self-centered and selfish or self-willed. And we could say this, Selfishness is love's enemy. See, hatred is not the opposite of love. 
It is selfishness that is the opposite of love. And as a result of his self-will, self-centeredness, and selfishness, he gave birth to everything that is evil. He marred everything that was good. He takes what is beautiful and wonderful and glorious and turns it into something that's perverted and evil. You see, Lucifer was not satisfied with what he had. He wanted more. Selfishness takes. And so he went and visited Adam and Eve, injected his thought patterns into their lives and their minds, and they thought that God was holding back on them. And so instead of loving like God ordained that they love and designed that they love, they decided that God must have been holding something back from their lives. And so they became selfish and self-centered and self-willed. And they too says, well, we're going to find out what it is that God doesn't want us to have. And they sought to get something that God didn't want them to have. They were not satisfied and selfishness became their demise. Lucifer fell because he was self-willed. Adam and Eve fell because of their self-will. Selfishness is the enemy of love. Selfishness is never satisfied and it always seeks to take what does not belong to it. Selfishness is a powerful force. It's a destructive force. You know, when we read in God's Word, greater is He that's in me than he that's in the world. In 1 John 4, 4, we could say greater is love in me than selfishness that's in the world and be accurate in what we're saying or greater is love than selfishness. Love is greater than selfishness. Yes, there is a warfare that's taking place and that warfare is between love and selfishness. There is a warfare that's taking place in the life of every believer. And it's the warfare between love and selfishness. Love gives. Selfishness takes. Love is greater than selfishness. That means giving is greater than taking. It's better to give than to receive. Giving is better than taking. In John 3.16, the Bible says, God so loved the world. And I want you to see something here. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, while I'm saying this. In what we call the incarnation or the celebration of the birth of our Lord, a mighty miracle took place. But few of us realize that it was love that was at war with selfishness. It was love intruding into the realm of selfishness and saying, I am more powerful than you are. I am greater than you. Selfishness wants to to take for itself. It wants to promote itself. It wants to embark upon that which it has no business embarking upon. Where love says, I'm confident in myself. I'm confident in what I have. And I don't need to promote myself. I'm just going to give of myself. And as I continue giving of myself, guess what? I'm going to win. I'm going to prevail. Now, God so loved the world. In the first creation, and I want you to see this, in the first creation, God gave of His creative ability and brought into being everything that exists. He gave of His creative ability and brought into being everything that we enjoy and everything that we see in life. That was the first creation. But because of a self-willed decision by one of His creatures... Love in the second creation, we are the new creation, 
If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Love had to give of itself unto death. I thank God for the first creation, which is a revelation of the beautiful creative ability of God. But in the new creation, love had to go beyond that first act of creation and love had to give itself unto death. Love poured itself out unto death for the purpose of overcoming selfishness. God so loved the world that He gave. That He gave. See, love gives. He gave His only begotten Son. God's love. This time of year we celebrate the incarnation. The Christmas season is a celebration of God coming into the realm of man and living as a man on earth among men. God so loved the world, reveals to us the breath of God's love. His love is so far-reaching, He gave Himself not just for a select people group of the world, He gave Himself for every person upon the face of the earth. Whoever lived, whoever would live or lives now and would ever live, He has already given of Himself. So He loves the whole world. That's the message of the Gospel that He gave. He gave His only begotten Son, His life. He didn't just give a thing, He gave Himself. Love gave itself unto death to redeem mankind from the fall. Now, in this act of the incarnation, I want you to see love at work. This is powerful. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. But the act of the incarnation was an act of giving on two parts. Both on the part of man through the woman Mary and the part of God through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, and you'll notice in verse 38, after the angel Gabriel came to Mary and explained to her that she was going to conceive in her womb the Son of God, she asked the question, How can this be since I do not know a man? I have never known a man. How can I become pregnant? And the angel explained the Holy Ghost would come upon her and she would conceive within her womb the Son of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Mary said in verse 38, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. I want you to stand, stop right there for a moment. Behold the servant of God. Very important words. In other words, I have always lived my life to give myself to you. I have lived to study your word. I have lived to, to serve you, to know you, to honor you. And no matter what you ask of me, Lord, I live to give myself to you for your purposes, to do your will. That's why I exist. And so she said to the angel, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, behold the servant of the Most High God. Then the next part, look at what she says. She goes on to say, Be it unto me according to thy word. Be it unto me according to your word. Now I want you to hold that thought there and you've got to look with me in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 because something else was also being proclaimed at that particular moment in time. And this is truly the act of the incarnation, or what is called the hypostatic union, the union of deity with humanity in the person of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, becoming 100% man as well as being 100% God. In Hebrews chapter 10, keep your thoughts on Mary as Mary stands there before the angel and says, Behold, the servant of the Most High God, be it unto me according to thy word. 
In verse 5 it says, Wherefore, when He cometh into the world... This is speaking of Jesus, Christ, the second person of deity. Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, He saith. This is something that's taking place when He is leaving the glory world behind. And Mary's standing there before the angel. And the second person of deity is now stripping Himself of His rightful dignity of honor and glory that He had with the Father. And He is leaving that place and He's coming into the world. And while Mary is saying, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, behold the servant of the Most High God, the second person of deity is saying, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither had his pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he might establish the second. And so we see harmony taking place. The second person of deity is saying, I'm coming to give myself to you to do your will. And she's here on earth saying, Be it unto me according unto thy word. And boom, a miracle takes place. The hypostatic union. She conceives within her womb the Son of God. Love gave on both ends. Love gave on both ends. Richard Nixon, then president in 1969, said as he addressed the nation, the greatest event to ever occur in human history occurred when man first put his foot on the moon. Speaking of Neil Anderson, uh, Armstrong rather, of course, when he climbed down that aluminum ladder and touched his feet upon the moon. But he was wrong. That was not the greatest event to occur in the realm of human history. The greatest event to occur was when the Son of God touched his feet upon this planet called Earth after he was born through a virgin. That was the greatest event to occur in the realm of human history. God became a man. Love personified. Love. God so loved the world. Love speaks. Love acts. Love gives. And that's exactly what God did. He came to express His love to us. You see, it was love that came. It was love that redeemed us. It was love that transformed us. It was love. It is love that gives us back our beauty and our usefulness in life. When you were born again, you were born of love. And the Bible says that if you're born again, you have love as a witness to the fact that you've been born again. And the love of God has been shed abroad in your heart by His Holy Spirit who was given to you. And love that is in you causes you to love the brethren with a love that is so far-reaching that you are willing to lay down your life for the brethren. Beloved, God is all about love and love is all about God. And everyone that is born of love and born of God is to love. And we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, but we're to love each other as He intended that we do from the beginning. And so love restores to us our beauty. Love restores to us our purpose for being. We're alive so that we can live to love one another. When the child is born out of a family of love and into a family of love, that child is the center of attention in that family. And I believe every innocent child has a right and deserves to be born in an environment of love where that child is cared for, wanted, and loved. And, and that child knows love, experiences love, understands love. And that's what God is all about. That's what His eternal kingdom is all about. And that's why Jesus came to the earth because man was love-starved. Man was love-deprived and denied of love. He didn't understand this kind of love. And so love had to become personified and love had to come to the earth. 
And when love came to the earth, he began to love mankind like no man had ever loved mankind before. When he walked upon this earth, he walked as no man walked before. When he spoke words, he spoke words that no man ever spoke before. He showed a compassion to the people that were lost and sick and afflicted and hurting. It didn't matter what their status was. He came to demonstrate and show love. He could be interrupted by little children and he would lay his hands upon them to bless them because he loved them, because he cared for them. And he was here to demonstrate that God is all about love. God is not responsible for the ills of mankind. God is responsible for helping people that are hurting and becoming whole once again, restoring dignity, restoring hope, restoring life, redeeming, transforming the human life so the human life once again lives for its purpose for being. Every one of us was designed by God to love, to love God and to love one another. In the family, love is to be that which is the motivation, motivating force in the life. The husband loving the wife as Christ loves the church. The wife responding to that love by submitting herself to her husband. And the family is unified and solidified. And the children born into a, a, an arena or a realm or environment of love where knows nothing but love where selfishness doesn't exist. Beloved, Jesus before dying on that cross said, Greater love is no man than this. That a man lay down his what? His what? His life for His friends. Not His car, not His house, not His clothes, not His earthly possessions, but His what? His what? We've been called upon by God to lay down our lives for one another. In John 13, listen to this. God who is love gave us a commandment. And what is that commandment? We are to love one another. I don't know if our ears can stand this even as He has loved us. Even as He has loved us. Do we realize what love it took to send the second person of deity to the earth? Can we even begin to fathom what kind of love motivated the second person of deity to leave behind His glorious power, His presence at the Father's right hand to be housed in a man robed in flesh, to come to the earth and walk on His own creation? That was the first step of His, of his humiliation. See, the incarnation to us is a glorious thing, but in, in, the, in, in God's sight, it is the first step of humiliation. He humbled Himself. He stepped out of the realm of eternity into the realm of time. He stepped out of the realm where, where He had freedom of full expression in every realm and in, in every place at the same time where He became limited. So He stepped out of the realm of, of infinite, infinite, no limitations whatsoever to the place where he was limited to a physical human body. And why did he do this? For what purpose? For what reason? It was love that drove him. It was love that moved him. It was love that caused him to come and say to the world, greater love is no man than this. I've come to love you. I've come to lay down my life for you. I've come so that you might have what I have. I've come to take your place, to give myself as a ransom for many that you could be restored to God. Now, I want you to look at a verse in, if you would please, 1 Peter in chapter 4. Because in our teaching, we talked about the fact that this love of God is powerful in the human heart. This is a love that enables us to love even our enemies. We've been called upon by God to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We've been told to love our neighbor as ourselves. 
We've been told husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And we've also been called upon to love our enemies. This love of God gives us the ability to love even our enemies. And it tells us how to love our enemies. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully use you and abuse you. Speak well of those that speak evil of you. This is the realm of God. This is what God is all about. This is what we should be all about. Loving, not just those that love us. Anyone can do that. Sinners can do that. But the true disciple of the Most High is known by His love even toward His enemies. When we were enemies of God, He still loved us and gave Himself for us. Now, if we've been called upon by God to love our enemies in a wonderful way, I'll tell you what, I've got some so-called friends that don't speak well of me. I don't know about you, right? I've got some so-called friends that don't do maybe that good to me. And we've been told to do good to our enemies. And we may have some so-called friends that don't even pray for us. But we've been called upon to pray for our enemies. Do good to our enemies. Those that despitefully use us and abuse us. And speak well of those that speak evil of us. How much more? Everybody say those three words with me. How much more? are we to love one another. By this shall all men know you are my disciples. You know, by your good-looking clothes shall all men know that you are my disciples. By the wonderful church that you attend shall all men know that you are my disciples. By the money you have in your bank account shall all men know that you are my disciples. By the hours you spend in prayer and by the Scriptures that you quote shall all men know that you are my disciples. No, it says by... Love, by your love, shall all men know that you are my disciples. We advertise that we belong to Him. We advertise that we are children of the Most High God because we love one another. When the world sees a family of love, when they see husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, and wives loving their husbands and their family and their kids, when they see children cooperating in love and with love, showing life's true meaning and purpose, then all of a sudden they become jealous of what they see because everyone really has been designed by God to love and to receive love as well as to give love. Everyone is born to love and to be loved. And that's what the whole kingdom of God is all about. As a matter of fact, in the end, when everything is all finalized, we're going to enter into a kingdom where there's nothing but an environment of living love throughout all eternity. Nothing that harms, nothing that destroys. There'll not be one selfish statement in the kingdom of God throughout all eternity. Aren't you glad? There'll never be an I will. It'll only be a God said. You ready for this verse? Can you handle it? You mature enough to handle this verse? Okay, you ready for it? Got your steel-toed shoes on? Got your hard hats on? All right, let's go. 1 Peter 4. Here it is. Verse 8. Above all things. Everybody say, above all things. things. Now, in the Greek interpretation of that, it means above all things. (laughs) Just in case you want to know the Greek. Above all things, have fervent. Everybody say fervent. Fervent. Everybody say white heated. heated. Say heated to the welding point. See, above all things, have fervent. White heated. Heated to the melting point. What? Charity, which is the word agape, which is the word love, among yourselves, above all things, have white heated, heated to the welding point, 
love among yourselves because charity covers the multitude. The best translation is prevents the multitude of sins. If you operate in love, you'll not cheat. If you operate in love, you'll not kill. If you operate in love, you'll not steal. You'll not covet. You'll not be selfish or self-centered and self-willed. If you operate in love, you won't commit adultery. You won't bear false witness. Love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, it prevents the multitude of sins because if you're love-motivated and love-controlled, you're not going to abuse your wife. You're not going to abuse your kids. You're not going to abuse yourself. You're not going to abuse your friends. You're not going to abuse your work associates. You're not going to run all over people and to get to the top rung of the ladder of life. You are not going to do any of that because you are love-propelled and love-motivated. But listen, saint of God, if we're to love our enemy, it says right here, we are to love one another with love that's to the melting point or to the welding point. It means He wants us as a congregation to be welded together or melted together or blended together in love. The whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies as uh, we provide the increase in the measure of every part so that the whole body is edified in love. Love then becomes the melting pot where we all come together and say, this is my motivation, this is my purpose for being, and I'm to love you with such a fervent... You ever see a welder weld? You ever see the bright light of the weld? You can't even look at it. And what does it do? It takes those two and blends them together and they become what? One. Guess what? That's what a body of believers is supposed to look like. Now, I understand you might maybe have a hard time relating to that, but you won't have a hard time relating to this. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. Lest we think that maybe this is not that powerful of a text, it's the same kind of fervency or fervent heat that is going to do this one day. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with... Same word. Fervent, white heat, heated to the welding point. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. How many of you know that's going to be a powerful heat? How many of you know you and I have been called upon to love one another that way? White heated. I'm starting just with husbands and wives. You've been hearing me say that for the last three or four services. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We have no understanding of the depth of, of, of that commandment. And then love one another in a body of believers. Your average body of believers in America, they, they don't really love one another. They talk about each other. They talk evil of each other. Criticize each other. They find fault with one another. You know Why? Because there's an enemy out there, an adversary out there, making people selfish, self-centered, and self-willed. And if you listen to what the devil says about people, you'll find every fault, failure, and imperfection that every person has in life. Well, somebody say amen. amen. It doesn't take long to find a person's faults or shortcomings or failures in life. It doesn't at all. I mean, just look in a mirror, you'll find a few. Somebody say amen. amen. And that you still love me. What a mandate given to us by God. We're under a divine mandate to love. But not just this puppy love, sloppy agape. Man, we've been called upon to love one another with such a love that is white-heated, with such a love that is heated to the welding point, 
that we really care about each other. We are concerned about each other. Each other's well-being, each other's welfare, what's going on in your life. We are concerned to that depth about each other as individuals. In our walk with God, in our family unity, in what's going on as far as helping each other. Uh, there's, there's, there's so much more. Look at another verse in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, if you would, please. Well, you know what? Before you look at that one in Hebrews 13, there's another one in 1 Thessalonians in chapter uh, 3. Look at that first. God is love. Love is God unveiled. If we want to know God, then we've got to know love. And studying love is studying God. Love is the revelation of who God is. And when a person steps into the arena of love, he is stepping into the arena of God. And when God's love becomes the controlling motive of of his heart and of his life, that life will be transformed forever. He will think like God. He will act like God. He will speak like God. He'll move like God. As a matter of fact, we're we're supposed to, in Ephesians chapter 5, we're supposed to imitate or mimic God as dear children, are we not? Absolutely, every one of us is called upon to do that. But look at this verse, if you need some incentive. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Increase and abound in love. And put God where love is. Increase and abound in God one toward another. And toward all men, even as we do toward you. For what reason? To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. That's one of those wild scriptures. You say, wow, then say it backwards and it's just doubly powerful. Wow. Did you, did you read that? We all have the capacity to absorb love. We have the capacity to reveal love. We have the capacity to give love. If God is love, I'm born of God. But the more I develop in love, I develop in God. And the more I give love, I'm giving God to somebody. And here it says that when I abound or when I increase in what? In love, I'm increasing in God in reality. For what purpose? To the end that I'm established in my heart, unblameable in holiness before God and at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all men. When a person is dedicated to living the love life, heart is unblameable before God, irreprovable before God. When love is his motivation, I realize it'll look like people are walking all over you. It'll look like people are taking advantage of you. But the Apostle Paul says, they think I'm mad because I walk in love, but I'm doing it because I know I'll stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ. And I see all men, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. I look beyond their flesh, their faults, their flaws, their imperfections. Too often, husbands are looking at all the faults of their wives and they've got them listed. They've got them on a list. You know, real long. And they don't look at the the beauty beyond all the imperfections. That's what happens in marriage. You look at her, you love love with her. It's really a love that's based on romance and passion and and sexual attraction. But you see, it doesn't get as deep as it ought, ought to get. And as a result, when we start seeing some of the flaws... Seemingly the passion dies. And so people think they're not in love anymore. Love is a choice. Love is a decision. Love is based on principle. 
It's not based on feelings and emotion. And when one commits to love, like God committed to love us, He loves you just the way you are. He loves you the way you acted this morning. He loves you the way you talk to your wife on the way here to church in the car. And even though you're hollering at the kids in the back seat saying, sit down, sit down, sit down. He still loves you just the way you are. Unconditional love. His love is forever. It's eternal. His love for us, thank God, it's unfailing. But He wants us to love the same way. You develop in love, beloved. You develop in God and your heart will be unblameable before God. Check your heart and say, what would love do? Is love the motivation behind my giving? You hear the, I'm going to meddle. See some of these television preachers? They're asking for your $1,000. Oh, it's two, that's the year 2000. Oh, it was a wonderful turn, wasn't it? Turn of events. 2000 came. Give your $2,000 check and you're going to get blessed. I don't want to give $2,000 so I can get blessed. If I give $2,000 just because I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I want to advance His kingdom on the earth and I'll give it where He tells me to give it. I'm not being dictated to by a tube and someone to tantalize me and say, if you give, you're going to get. See, there's, there's, there's truth, but then there's ultimate truth. You can give and God will bless you for your giving. But if your giving is not motivated by the love that you have for God and the love that you have for mankind, guess what? Read 1 Corinthians 13, first verses. It'll tell you that if you give out of a wrong motive, if love is not the motive behind your speaking with eloquence, if it's not the motive behind your use of your faith, if it's not the motive behind your giving of your goods and of yourself to be burned at the stake for a specific cause, guess what? It goes on to say you're a nobody. You're a nobody making a loud noise, a lot of noise, to no profit for yourself. And what more can you give than your body to be burned for a cause? Beloved, God wants love, His love to be the, the motivation of our heart. He wants it to be the motive be, motivation behind everything that we do in life. He wants us to ask ourselves the question, would love do this? Is this how love would act? Is this what love would say? Is this what love would do? And He wants us to be controlled by this love. Love is to be the controlling motive of our hearts and of our lives. It's to dictate to everything that we do. And so many are misguided and misdirected when it comes to love. And we have yet to get to the exposition that Paul gave us on what love does and what love does not do in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And there won't be time to do it today, but look at that last verse in Hebrews chapter 13, if you would, please. Hebrews is a powerful book. It talks about change. It talks about many different things. It talks about how Jesus is better. Better than the law, better than Moses, better than Abraham, better than the temple. It talks all about the better covenant, better promises, better than the old. It talks about how the old was put away and the new has come. Change, 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 change. But guess what? All those things were changing because the old was being done away with and the new was coming, right? And the new covenant brought another change. The law of the new covenant takes in the Ten Commandments and fulfills them in one statement, love. And love is the fulfillment of all the commandments of God. Amen? It's called the royal law by James. It's the royal law of love. Well, guess what? Now let's put this verse in context like we should. Look at chapter 13, verse 1. Even though there's all these changes that are being taken place, he's talking about all these different changes from the old Abrahamic covenant to the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Listen to this. Let brotherly love continue. 
That doesn't change. Let brotherly love continue. Love each other with a love that is white-heated, with a love that goes beyond anything you can imagine. It's going to be the same fervent heat that melts all the, the, the whole earth and changes it all by fire. Be, and he tells you how. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. There's one way we love. We love the stranger on the street. We love the bag lady uh, in New York or on the streets of Pittsburgh as they sit there on the side of the road in their despair or for whatever reason they got there. But guess what? Do we walk by or do we stop and we say, God loves you. God cares about you. I did this when I was in New York one time. I looked that, that fellow right in the eye, eyeball to eyeball, in his filth, in his degradation, in his dirt. And I said, I want you to know that God loves you and He has a wonderful purpose and plan for your life. He looked back up at me and he said this, his very words. He says, my granddaddy was poor like this. My daddy was poor like this. And this is my lot in life. And this will be my life for the rest of my life. And I looked him in the back and I said, it does not have to be that way if you don't want it. Because God has something better for you. And he looked back at me and said, I don't want it. But at least I took to him the love of God. I let that man know. And I'm telling you, I, I just pray to God that somebody else water the seeds of those words that were spoken to his heart. Amen. And that's what God has called us to do. Look, love strangers. Then number two, remember them that are in, in bonds or in prison as bound with them. Remember those that are in prison and the, as if you are bound with them as well. And them that suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. We're to relate to, such, to one another in such a way. I realize he's talking about those that are in bonds because of preaching of the gospel's sake. But even those that may have had some things done in their life and they became Christians and they're in prison, we're not to forget them. We're to reach out to them as if we're in the same body. We're the same body of Christ. If they hurt, we hurt. We've got to reach out to one another and let the love of God prevail. So let brotherly love continue. Number three, marriage is honorable in all things and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. This is talking about let love continue in your marriage. Not just be faithful to your wife, but nurture your wife. Nurture her. Build her up in the faith. Promote her spiritual growth and development. Let love prevail. See, all these things change, but love does not change in the kingdom of God. Look at number four. Let your conversation be without co covetousness. Oh, there's that word, covetousness. Selfishness. Covetousness. Wanting something that's not yours. Don't let covetousness enter into your spirit life. It will destroy you. And be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And that's hard for us to hear in society today. You know why? Because we live in a society that promotes more and more and better and bigger and bigger. And so that's what we hear. Every single how you can be richer, how you can be wealthier, get rich quick schemes and all that. And people are gung-ho and they're reaching out for it. And they never get to the place where they're content with what they have. You wonder how, you wonder how you're going to get more? Be content with what you have and give what you have away. Give it. Give love. Give joy. Give peace. Give somebody Jesus. And I'll tell you what, God will take care of your needs. God will bless you. Be content with what you have. You want a better vehicle? Then start thanking God for the one that you have and be content with it. And thank Him for better wheels. So look along, let's read on. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Then he goes on to say, Remember them which have the rule over you. Be submissive. Love is submissive. 
who have spoken unto you the Word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation or lifestyle. And you've got your whole chapter 11 in the book of Hebrews where it talks about those that made it all the way in faith and they're sitting right now and they are in the grandstands of heaven. They're up there and they're watching over us and looking down here as, as we're living our lives. And they're up there saying, you can make it, I did. You can make it, I did. Come on, you can do it. Mary's up there. Joseph's, all these others, they're up there saying, we did it, we give ourselves. And you know what? You can do it. Come on, encouraging us. Now, you understand that we began with what? Let brotherly love continue with all these changes that are taking place. All these changes within the group of the people that call the religious sect of the day. From Judaism to Christianity, from the temple worship to you are the temple of the Most High God. All the sacrifices that are done away with, the one sacrifice in Christ, the better blood, the better covenant, the better promises. Guess what? Everything else has changed, but one thing remains the same. And what's that one thing that remains? Let love, let love, let love, let love in your home, in your life, with your kids, in all you do, in your giving, in your motivation, dealing with strangers, in your marriage. Uh, don't covet. It's all love, love, love. And the next verse that we always quote out of context, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. That's Jesus Christ. Love personified. Love loved us before the world began. Love is the reason for our being. And when man faltered and fell, love loved us enough to come and redeem us by becoming a man. And then love loved us unto death and rose again. Love prevailed over death and all of its consequences. And guess what? Love lives. And love lives for you. And love lives for me. And love has redeemed me. Love has transformed me. Love has given me my dignity back. Love has given me my purpose for living. My reason for being. A sense of purpose in life. And all God has asked me to do, His commandment is, now love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself, and go a step further than sinners. Love your enemy. And remember, Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It was love that healed the leper. It was love that raised the dead. It was love that caused the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to be made whole and leap as an heart. It was love that fed the multitudes. It was love that spoke like no man spoke. It was love that went to the cross. It was love that suffered, died. It was love that rose again. It's love that's in your heart now. And guess what? I'll say one more thing. Love will never go to a divorce court. I said love will never go to a divorce court. Never, 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 never go to a divorce court. Where two people are in love, when two people actually love each other and walk in that realm of God's love, never. It cannot happen because they're always giving and never taking. Giving is greater than taking. And God so loved the world that He gave. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart 
I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.